Spoilers ahead. Spoilers ahead. All right, you smugs, listen up. Welcome to another episode of Max Mike Movies, see? We got us a brand new series, see? We're calling it I Keep Meaning to Watch That, see? Okay, I'll, I'll stop now. Please do, because he never does that. <laughs> I know, I know. You, not in this, but in Little Caesar. Oh, is that what it's from? Okay. Yeah. Uh, we're at the start of a brand new series. Each week, one of us will choose a movie that he or he hasn't watched. <laughs> yeah, we're not sexist here. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, sorry, they or they haven't watched, but has always wanted to. And we watch it and talk about it. It's just that easy. Snaffles tops off any bottle or jar, and it really, really works. Hey, I got one question, though. What's that? Um, Am I still re- apologizing for last week's episode? Yes, you are. Okay. Hey, everyone. <laughs> I'm really, really sorry about last week's drunken episode. I'm really... <laughs> really sorry (laughs) now you go over there and think about what you did young man it makes my thinker hurt (laughs) i just feel like that i could spend this entire series apologizing for that episode well let's wait and see what people think about it if it turns out to be our most popular one you will never have to i I, kind i kind of hope it doesn't because that means we got to do the get drunk every week okay wait i'm trying to see the downside um Uh, anyway Anyway, sorry. This this week it's my choice, and I've chosen the 1948 John Huston Bogey and Bacall movie Key Largo, which I have never seen. Which amazes the pants off me. You can't see yeah. me right now, but I am in fact pantsless in amazement. I'm very happy that I cannot see you I'm right now. I'm sticking to the chair. Yeah. <laughs> you can do that in podcasting. Did you know that? <laughs> I'm nude. 100% nude. 50 girls, oh, 50. Lord. Nude, nude, nude. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go okay. <laughs> I think someone's going to have to be apologizing next week anyway. Um, Spend most of my life apologizing for something. But uh, I, I am I am one of your hosts, Max Rocky Road Levine. And I'm Mike Nude Loose. <laughs> yep. Mike Loose, loose and Nude Loose. Either that or Mike 50 Girls 50 Loose. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. The show. So, uh, uh, so in this, uh, Humphrey Bogart plays Frank McLeod. Chief. McLeod! <laughs> a World War II veteran who goes to Key West to visit the hotel run by the father and widow of his war buddy, played respectively by Lionel freaking Barrymore yep. and, and Lauren Bacall. Yep. Once there, he discovers that the hotel has been taken over by gangsters, run by the most the most gangstery gangster of them all, Edward G. Robinson. Pretty much. And to make matters worse, a massive hurricane is about to strike, ex- escalating the already tense situation. <laughs> oh boy, tension! They just call this film tension, but we'll get yeah, to that. Yeah, this is yeah, yeah. Uh, this was directed by John Houston. John like friggin' say, Houston. John friggin' Houston. We got Humphrey friggin' Bogart, Lauren friggin' Bacall. Edward G., Lyle Barrymore, Claire Trevor, who, by the way, this won the only Oscar that this film won. Claire Trevor won it for Best Supporting Actress. And she's Gay Dawn? She's Gay Dawn, yes, which I'm sure is the name she was born with, not like Georgia Gablonski. No, she's Maggie Mooney. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, does it say that? In the movie, yeah. Oh, I missed that. Yeah, yeah, okay. he's talking about his, his Irish hellion, and he had to change her name for reasons. Oh, oh yeah. right, right, right. Anyway, go ahead. 
Oh, I've got uh, some trivia about the movie. You do? I do. I was curious at the opening. This was just something I looked up. They claim that Key Largo is the largest of the Florida Keys. Yes, it is. Uh, one thing I, I thought was interesting. Did you recognize one of the Osceola brothers? No. There are two. There's a char- two characters in there. The Osceola brothers are Seminole Indians, and uh, sort of Mr. Well, no, no, they are really. I, I be- all of the Indians in that movie are actual Native Americans. They aren't all Seminoles. Ah, that's what I was looking. Particularly for. one of the, particularly one of the Osceola brothers who is played. One is played by a guy named uh, oh, Rick Redville, I believe, no, and the other is Jay Silverheels. Tonto. I, oh God. <laughs> but of course. Best known for his role on the Brady Bunch as Chief Eagle Cloud. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Great. Okay. Yes. And of course, and he's in full, you know, you, you know, good friend to Indian mode in this. Yeah. 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 We'll talk anyway, about that. Yeah. We'll talk about that. But uh, uh, although they played uh, on screen enemies, off screen, Humphrey Bogart and Edward G. Robinson always treated each other with great respect. And this is a big deal because Bogart was a much bigger name than Robinson. True. Bogart insisted Robinson be treated like a major star and wouldn't come to the set until Robinson was ready. Often he would go to Robinson's trailer to personally escort him to the set. Huh. Yeah. Now, apparently, John Huston, while not being quite as bad as Alfred Hitchcock, was a really unpleasant guy to work for. Oh. Well, he would do absolutely anything... Uh, to uh, to get what he wanted on the screen, like uh, John Huston told Claire Trevor the day that they were going to film her song. On that day, Trevor is not a trained singer, really, and she hadn't she hadn't even rehearsed the song, so she was really intimidated by all the A list actors who were sitting right in front of her. You know, because the whole cast is there when she sings. And the result is this hesitant, nervous, uncomfortable version, which is exactly what Houston was trying to get. You know, it, it, it just made me think, because I've heard stories about this before. We talked mm. about the fact that there are scenes, that, that scene in Alien, for example, where it's like, I'm not going to tell them. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, they want to get that natural reaction. And on one hand, it just occurs to me that it's actually really... Un- unfair of the director to assume that his actors can't do their job. It's kind of insulting. Yeah, I never thought of I it mean, that way, but it really kind of is. Yeah, it is. It, also, it's not so much a director thing, but you know, it reminds me of that famous exchange between Lawrence Olivier and Dustin Hoffman when they were doing Marathon Man together. And Dustin Hoffman was wow. this huge advocate of method acting, right. meaning getting like really living the part. So he is this char- when his character. Is supposed to not have slept for three days and disheveled. And Hoffman didn't sleep for three days and he slept on the floor and he slept in his clothes and he came to the set and he looked terrible. And Olivier came over going, dear boy, are you all right? And Hoffman explains what he's doing and what his process is. And Olivier just looks at him for a minute and says, dear boy, wouldn't it have been simpler just to act? <laughs> yeah. You know, and you, and, yeah. and on one hand, you can go, you know, he's got a point. And other, it's like, hey, you know, whatever your process is, if that's what you need to do, okay. If it gets the performance, that's what's important. I just, you know, in this case, it's not the actor making the performance; mm. it's the director saying, "You can't do this, so I'm going to yeah. scare you into it." Um, yeah. Which says yeah. two things. Hitchcock did a lot of that. Yeah. Well, it says two things. One, 
the director doesn't believe in the talents of the actor, and two, mm. the director doesn't believe in his own ta- or her own talents in casting. So, mm. that yeah, okay. If I ever direct a film, Max, and you're in it, I won't do that. Okay. Uh, do I appreciate that? You're welcome. Do do go on. There is a story. I don't know if this is true, but there is the rumor that is, Lauren Bacall was having trouble playing this straight leading lady. She usually was used to playing these sort of snarky, uh, edgy. You know, wisecracking dames, which she does in all of the other movies she's in with uh, her later her husband at that point, uh, Humphrey Bogart. The use of the word dame is not meant to be any way insulting or derogatory. <laughs> mm-hmm. Go ahead. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good luck uh, with you on that one. <laughs> John Houston like literally twisted her arm to get some emotion into her face. Huh. Yeah. I. Okay, well, we'll talk about the performances because yep. I I was surprised by a lot of the performances in this mm. in a good way. Go ahead. His Houston had a sort of he tended to have a scapegoat on his production. Somebody he he was just really nasty to, and the other you know the other actors would try to work harder so they wouldn't take that place. In this case, it was the, it was the actor Harry Lewis. He was the guy who plays Toots. Oh, well, I can see yeah. that. Boy, I hated yeah, that character. Yeah, he was a very inexperienced actor, and Houston browbeat him mercilessly to get a performance out of him. Uh, but Lewis said later that Houston was the only director who ever really worked with him. Oh. Who ever really pushed him and tried and told him what to do to get better. The character's loud clothes and his high-pitched laugh were ideas from Houston that Lewis that helped Lewis register on screen, which he never did again. Oh dear! He was always he was always background characters. Mm. Uh, when Houston was uh, scouting locations for the Florida Keys, he asked a hotel owner where the storm cellar was. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I know what the answer is to this one. Yeah, the man informed him if you dig three feet down, you hit ocean. Well, that depends on the key you're on. So Key West, mm. for example, you dig maybe three feet if you're lucky and you hit coral um Mm. a lot of the keys are made up of really dense hard-packed dead coral bodies and you literally can't like there's there's no digging (laughs) yeah so uh lionel barrymore was severely disabled by arthritis and you can see it in his hands Mm -hmm. and he actually was confined to a wheelchair which makes the scene where Mr. Temple gets up and tries to take a swing at Toots a really dramatic moment because the whole cast is like... <gasps> <laughs> Bet you anything, Li- or, um, John Houston wasn't telling Lionel Barrymore anything. <laughs> no, you do not tell Lionel Barrymore how to act. We can't send this poor boy to prison. <laughs> <laughs> Terry, Terry Bailey was a dreamer. <laughs> So your faith in your friends is your... Oh, wrong Wait a minute. Well, Hale <laughs> Barrymore didn't play Emperor Palpatine. Nobody could. <laughs> he really could. Ooh, that... He would have been so good yeah. at it. I... <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> anyway, the character of Gay Dawn is based on the real-life Maul, Gay Orlova, who was Lucky Luciano's girlfriend. Pavarotti? Believe... <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Johnny Rocco, the oh, Edward G. Robinson's character, is sort of modeled on Al Capone, who, like, like Capone... Uh, retired to Florida and died there, although admittedly Capone died there as complications to syphilis as opposed to complications from, you know, bullets. Wah, wah. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was based originally on a play by Maxwell Anderson, and it has very little to do with the play. Oh. All the characters have their names changed. It's wildly different, which is very unusual 
for uh, this very respect. A lot of his plays were turned into movies, and that was very strange. Huh. Oh, yeah, we'll get uh, to that, was, too. <laughs> yep. This was the fourth and final film pairing of Humphrey Bogart and his wife, Lauren Bacall. They were planning to do a fifth film, but Bogart died before it could be made. Hmm. And, uh, weird. Because, I mean, this was 48. Wasn't, yeah. Afri- wasn't African Queen 53? Uh, I don't remember. Huh. Because that's, yeah. Go ahead, anyway. Mm. And uh, John Huston did not have a conclusive end to the script. Howard Hawks gave him the shootout on the boat that that finishes the film, which because Hawks wanted to use that in To Have and Have Not, that it didn't fit in. Oh. So Howard Hawks said, here, here, here you go, John. Use my ending. Interestingly, I uh, uh, have seen To Have and Have Not, and I was getting that part of the end of the film confused. It's like, wait, don't they do this? Isn't there blah, blah, blah? And like, oh, no, that's right. That's that other Humphrey yep. Bogart film that ends on the water and the fire. By the way, if, if you compare the numbers on the bow, the same boat is used in both movies. <laughs> Oops. Yep. Eh. Yeah. Well, they had it lying around. Yeah. <laughs> so that's pretty much, there's more, but that's pretty much the main trivia that I have. One little piece of so, trivia, and it's, it's very yeah. minor. So Key Largo, if I'm not mistaken, is in fact the final resting place of the African Queen. Um, I have hmm. seen the boat having driven to Key Largo, I'm sorry, to Key West a number of times. And it's next to, I think it's a restaurant or a hotel, but it's oh, wow. there. And the actual boat that was used in the film is there. So little double um, Bogart for you there. Don't Bogart that film. Uh, the only other piece of uh. trivia is one of the actors, uh, and he actually shows up late in the film. He's the guy who plays Ziggy, and it's like, I've seen you as a heavy before. Weren't you yeah. that guy from Diamonds Are Forever? And I double-checked, and sure enough, it was. Uh, well, which guy? So there's one point where uh, James Bond is in, in his hotel in Las Vegas. Um, mm-hmm. He's set up to meet this um, um, attractive young lady. And oh, is that Plenty, Plenty O'Toole? Yes, unfortunately it is. <laughs> named after her father, no doubt. Yeah. Um, that's a line from the film, folks. I didn't make that yeah. up. And yeah. they turn the lights on, and there's a bunch of gangsters there, the main oh, guy right. of which is the guy who plays Ziggy. Oh, so, okay. And it's huh. one of those rare occasions where it's like, I recognize someone, yay, I get the <laughs> lollipop. The Lowdown. So, so this film, um, now the, the, the part where we trash this useless piece of garbage. Cause, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is one of those films, right? Um, it's not mm-hmm. Casablanca, but it's still one of those films. It, it is a really great film. I'm, it is it is one of those films. I don't know how I've gone this long without seeing it. I'm, I'm really surprised because this is uh, like right in that corral of films I have expected you to not only seen but many times and no backwards and forwards yeah now honestly i think one of the reasons is somebody described it to me once and they talked about the whole hostage situation and it sounded really really tense (laughs) which it is and i don't really like movies like that i don't like movies where the whole the whole movie is just winding up the tension until you're waiting for something to happen which this does Yes, it really does, and it does it really friggin' well. Yes, it does. If you are somebody, perhaps one of our younger viewers, who doesn't watch a lot of black and white films, this is one of those films that you could watch and learn something from. It holds up exceedingly well. It is nothing but tension. I have seen tenser films. There is a film, Mm -hmm. I believe it's a French film, called Wages of Fear. The entire film 
is about a guy driving a truckload of nitroglycerin to an oil <laughs> well fire. And it is oh, over, God. like, the most treacherous road you can imagine. And, uh-huh. yeah, it is one of those exceedingly well done, but you kind of don't want to see it anytime soon because mm. it is that tense. And I had seen Key Largo before, and I was sort of not looking forward to it just because it's that tense. Like, Humphrey yeah. Bogart shows up in a bus as soon as he gets off the bus. It's the first, oh, I don't know, five minutes of the movie. It's like, oh, things aren't right here. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, of course, it's Bogart, yeah. so it's like, well, so something's going to happen. And if you're looking at the credits and you see there's Edward G. Robinson, it's like, uh, he never shows up in movies where stuff doesn't happen or people sing. So, yeah. I only have one problem with this movie, and it is not the movie's fault at all. Okay. And it is Edward G. Robinson. And the problem is, again, not his fault. But the character of Rocco Mm -hmm. and a lot of the others, it has been so parodied and so copied for the last seven almost 70 years yeah it's really hard not to giggle when he comes out and he's doing the, ah, all right yeah wise guy ah. <laughs> and you keep waiting for him to go see and he he never does you do but you, you wait do. for it because it's supposed to be like in the cartoons and the weird but the weird part the thing that got me is despite the way he seems cartoonish he's still really scary he's really intimidating the bit where at one point, he's whispering something to the character Nora, Lauren Bacall. We never know what it is. And I'll let you know but, real quick. I wore headphones because I always wear headphones when I watch the movie. You still can't uh-huh. tell. There's, there, it's, it's oh, gibberish. Okay. It's, it's not. And it's not in. The, uh, there's no subtitle. It just no. ro- it says Rocco whispers. Yeah. And she, whatever he says, she spits in his face. Yep. And the look he gets when she does, he doesn't care. She scratches him at one point, and he just thinks that's funny. And she spits on him, and he gets this look, and you just go, oh, crap. Yeah. and it, Oh, something awful is about to happen. And, this, and it's surprising. Sorry, I'm sorry. Just one more. It's surprising because Edward G. Robinson is not a physically imposing man. He's not very tall. He's not very big. And the way he's dressed is um, <laughs> a sign of the times. Yeah. One of, my, one of my notes, and this does not just apply to him, but they are the highest pants in cinema. <laughs> Yep, they are. They are seriously. They're practically up to his neck. Well, Lionel's actually, I believe, are above nipple zone. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't understand those pants. There's I like, don't. okay, here's the waistband. Mm-hmm. Now we're gonna add another foot and a half, and it's like, okay. But anyway, no, you're right. Mm. Um, and I was what I wanted to say was this is the '40s, so a lot of people mm. in today's films that scene would never have happened because at at any given point. The character of Rocco, I think, would have just opened fired, right? Mm. The, the only reason he's keeping people alive at this point is because it's the 40s. And there was that sort of line you don't cross. I don't know if that was true in real life, but in the movies you didn't do it. Mm. Um, these days, uh, the Humphrey Bogart character, the Lauren Bacall character, oh, the dead, Lionel, dead, they, would, dead. Yeah, they, they never would have made it past. In fact, I think that they would have, when uh, Humphrey Bogart showed up, they would have been like, who are you? And it's like, oh, I'm here to see Mr. Temple. Too bad. Blam. Movie's over. Yeah, pretty much. But you're right. The <laughs> tension, and sadly, that point, that's what? Halfway through the film? The tension yeah. doesn't stop there. It just no, it keeps building and building. Yeah. It's it's really kind of painful. It is. But and, you, as soon as certain people pop up, 
in the film like oh it's lionel barrymore and there's lionel barrymore and lionel barrymore he wasn't even was he the grandfather or was he the father he was the grandfather. Uh, he was the. He was the grandfather. He was the patriarch. He was the, he was the first. It was Lionel, and there was John. Yep. And then of course Ethel. And then, and then there was Drew. Then there was Drew, who you know yes. has who has, has done. Yeah, she acts. She's done some good stuff. <laughs> um, but he is like whenever he's on the screen. And to be fair, I really only know him from two films, and in both of those films, he is in a wheelchair, mm-hmm. and he is just this. <laughs> he might as well be the sun in an otherwise blank galaxy, right? Because there's, there's, you don't care who else is on the screen when he talks. And the nice part about that is the way it's directed, it doesn't interfere with anybody else. And because mm-hmm. of his character, it's like he's actually one of the most likable characters. Because you know if he could get out of that chair, he really would have gone and strangled Edward G. Robinson's character, Johnny Rocco, if he possibly, possibly could. And like you said, when he actually launches himself out and it's like, man, he is the hero of this film and he's, what, <laughs> 75 and wheelchair ridden? Man, he's he's a fourth. I like the, the hurricane blows in. Oh, no. Lionel Barrymore blows in way <laughs> before the hurricane. So. Oh, and the things he and he just has no he's not afraid of Rocco at all. No. The thing is, though, and I got to say. He also isn't. He he's very self-centered that way because he doesn't occur to him that Rocco might shoot somebody else. Right. That Rocco might take it out on Nora or on Frank. Well, that's what I think the big difference between Frank and um, Mr. Temple was was that Frank mm. did understand consequences. Yeah. And there's a Frank l- understands uh, Rocco a lot better, and he he actually I love the way he describes Rocco to Rocco's face. Mm. And, he's, and that great sequence where he's saying, you know, why do you do it? What do you hope to get? And Rocco can't answer it. No, because... And so he answers it for him. Yep. He says, you want more. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I want. More. Yeah. More and more and more. Yeah. Except, you know, Because he never... And he, Rocco doesn't realize how pitiful that makes him sound. Yeah. Because what he's saying is he can never be satisfied. He's never going to have enough. Again, that's very much like Capone. Also, uh, you know, if Rocco is a big clothes horse, okay, his clothes are a bit ridiculous, but well, by today's he's standards, vi- well, he's always you know which suit, uh, the gray suit, yeah, and w- which shirt, which shirt you want with that, boss? The, a white one, of course. Yeah, but if you look too, it's like his shirt was really nicely made. He's wearing yeah. full French cuffs with cufflinks. The tie yep. was actually in style. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh no! For the time, he's beautifully dressed. Yeah. Again, Capone was a huge clothes horse. Yeah, love that stuff. Supposedly, he had a different shirt for every day of the year. You know, and it's there's an interesting scene, maybe about a third of way through the film, where mm-hmm. basically Lionel Barrymore and Johnny Rocco are trying to get Frank McCloud, Humphrey Bogart's character, to show how brave he is, and it looks like Humphrey mm-hmm. Bogart's character, Frank McCloud, backs down. And I think mm. having seen this twice, what I think he's actually doing is I think he's doing the slow game. He's actually trying to feel out the character of Johnny Rocco and to feel how far he can push him and in what directions. And so that's, inter- that's interesting. I didn't think of that. I thought he was trying to make himself seem less threatening. Well, so that Rocco would underestimate. I him. think that's part of it. I think he realized this is not the time. And I don't think he did know that the gun wasn't loaded. I think he was just like, this. if I kill him, those guys are going to kill everybody else. And yeah. he was just trying, there's a look on Humphrey Bogart's face. And I'll say this right out, out front. 
Humphrey Bogart is great at being Humphrey Bogart. There's a few parts where he really pushes himself. African Queen is one of them. But mostly mm-hmm. what you get is a good, solid Humphrey Bogart, and you like him, and he's yep. he's good at that. Here, there are moments where you see indecision and unsurety, especially in that part of the movie, cross his face. And I think the character doesn't know exactly what to do, but he knows not to do that. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it turned out to be a good decision was like, oh, okay, I'm really glad I didn't do that. Um, and that was actually one of my lines, was the performance in the performances in this film really surprised me in a lot of cases. Edward G. was Edward G. Um, he did great at what he was doing. Unfortunately, he got typecast. He did mostly gangsters and stuff, except for the Ten Commandments. Um, yeah. I, <laughs> except even there, you're like, ah, we'll show this Moses guy. Yeah, we're going to make a golden calf, see? <laughs> Kinda. Um, I forget. Right. Is he he supposed, he's not supposed to be Jewish in that, is he? Yeah, he is. He's Dath- Well, he is. Edward G. Robinson is Romanian Jew. Is he? Oh, yes, he well, is. He spent his you entire. You would never career. know it from the way he looks or talks. He sounds like he was like, like educated in London, which he might have been. Well, but, Robinson, no, he was Jewish. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sure um, that was not the name he was born with. The acting in this is really, really good, especially for the oh, times. Yeah. A lot of the films of the 40s and 50s or 30s we look back on and some of it's well, especially things like in our last series like dracula where it's all melodrama um mm-hmm. if you consider that this is only 15 years after dracula there's an incredible difference between oh, night and day film language acting um you know everyone being uh, more in character and less just like gesturing and you know falling backwards and heaving on the couch um <laughs> Lauren Bacall was actually the biggest surprise. As you said, Lauren Bacall's usually in control. She's this very smarmy, almost jaded. Smarmy. I've seen. Yeah, like. I would say smarmy. Yeah, I would say smarmy. Like, she knows mm. what you don't know. She's smarter than you, and she is. Uh-huh. And no, not in a bad way. Like, Lauren Bacall is like, I've got it all together. In all of her she always characters. does. She, in a lot of the others, she does have this feeling she's sort of laughing at everybody. Yeah, even when she was seventeen. Yeah, um, and in this no, nineteen, you're talking have and have not. I thought she was seventeen. No, she was nineteen. It wouldn't have been illegal for her to be a starring role at seventeen. I think. Oh, it doesn't matter because the word teen is involved. Yes, um, and of course, yeah, that, that... Humphrey saw that and was like, uh, "Yes, please." Um, <laughs> yeah, and he was he was I think forty four. She's incredibly restrained in this. Yeah, she's very, and it's it's a good restraint, you know. I mean, I can say you can say that uh, Houston was twisting her arm to get her performance. I think she did just fine. There's only one scene that I felt was a little bit overdone. She has an apology scene where she's talking to Frank about how she was mm-hmm. wrong about him and so on and so forth. And I think it has mostly to do with the script. Suddenly, she's gone from a very quiet, restrained character to this gushing forth of expository dialogue. Yeah, and that's and she doesn't go back to that. That's like no. it's a sudden break, and then she goes back to her like she goes back to a real character, which is again, as you say, it's beautifully underplayed. Well, and here's the other thing: here's this character, and it's Lauren Bacall, and it's Humphrey Bogart. So you expect these two are going to end up together, and she's still in love with her husband, who's only died. At, you know, if we assume it's the same date as the film was made, it's three years after the war. So her husband mm-hmm. potentially died no more than three years ago. She may be through mourning, but that doesn't mean she's ready to look for a new guy yet. And here's his best friend. Isn't that convenient? So mm. my feeling was she had a conflict going on of, I'm lonely. I like this guy, but I, I can't do this. You know, And I felt that in her performance, her being restrained. Mm-hmm. So you know, Houston may say, oh, I need an emotion out of her, but I felt plenty. And it was really interesting because, again, this is not her usual role. And Lauren Bacall no. is great at being Lauren Bacall. To see her 
take some range and not be Lauren Bacall was really cool. Um, Edward G, as I said, is Edward G, and he's fine. Um, <laughs> the other side characters, man, Curly hated Curly. Hate, oh, loathsome, <laughs> but but perfectly loathsome, and yet you could all, and also charismatic and kind of charming and pushy. And he, I yeah. actually felt, was more dangerous than Johnny Rocco. The only thing holding Curly back was Johnny Rocco. I figure I always it's funny, I thought Curly just seemed like he was a subservient type. He was never gonna be a boss. No, he wasn't, but he was still a loose cannon. Like Yeah, he, had, he could be really dangerous. Yeah. And I really did not like the character of Toots. Like you aren't supposed to. And I thought No, he, oh, Toots was awful. He was played well. He he <laughs> actually reminded me kind of of a character who's played by the same actor who played Samuel T. Cogley, attorney at law, in an episode of Star Trek. He actually played the oh, the heel in an episode of Odd Couple <laughs> on TV. This is, this is a big stretch. But he played this... I, don't, I know why I thought of him, because he also plays the young guy in the Maltese Falcon. It's the same character. Oh, and it, okay. And he's, he's this kid character who is not... He's the lowest rank of the hoods that are there, but you still get the impression that if somebody doesn't hold him back, he's going to do something stupid. And you get the same impression with Toots. Toots isn't that dumb, but you get the feeling that he too would love to just start beating people up unless somebody told yeah. him not to. And like you said, he too is never going to make a boss. Yeah, Toots is a thug. He's muscle. That's all he'll ever be. The other two guys, you know, Angel and I don't remember the other guy. I that, think it's and the rest. <laughs> and the rest, yes, and the rest. Well, Angel, he doesn't have much personality, doesn't no. have much character. No, but he's also uh, been the, in Cas Casablanca, so he's another repeat from Warner Brothers. Yep, Probably yep that's right. He, he, was, he worked in Rick's bar, right? He was the guy wearing the fez? Yes. I think yeah. he was one of the stable. You know, that was yeah. back when they had... Abdul. I think his name was Abdul. Yeah, when they have... They used to have, um, under the contract system, they basically had their little passel of actors, and that's why they, yeah. you would always see Bogart in a Warner Brothers picture, because <laughs> they had his contract. But, yeah. Yeah, I... And, and the other guy, who doesn't talk very much, he just... You get the feeling, yeah, this is the stolid... This is the stolid gangster, the guy you put on lookout, the guy who isn't very imaginative, but knows... But does what he's told, and does it properly. Yeah. So... All of them, all of the characters are really well established. Yes. And it's, it. you said earlier that this had nothing to do with the play. One of the things I wanted to get back to was like, oh boy, can you tell this is a play? I mean, it yeah, takes place almost entirely in one room. And mm -hmm. if you're watching for these sort of things, it actually takes place in one building. And I mean the entire film because there is a big tank out in the back that they use for the ocean. And because I, I, I'm interested in this sort of thing and, and I was looking, I could start seeing things like, oh, there's the backdrop. And mm -hmm. that, oh, that boat that they're pointing to? Yeah, it's a model. <laughs> <laughs> it's only a model. Yeah. Um, toy, which, boat, toy boat, which toy is, boat. Yeah, which is fine. You know, that's just the, the sign of the mm -hmm. times. But it's, it's very, what's the word I want? Claustrophobic in a way, which does add to the tension. But it, yeah, but, which is appropriate because they're all trapped inside, both trapped with right. each other and trapped by the storm. Yeah, but the acting is is really superb. Lionel Barrymore is just this force of nature. He's great. Yeah. Um, Humphrey Bogart, for himself too, is not so Humphrey Bogart in this. He's no, also he's quiet. He's very restrained. He's very calm. He doesn't have that. Usually, Humphrey Bogart has that thing of walking into the room and going, "Hi, none of you are me, <laughs> and all of you want to be." And, and it, it's not like he's, it's not like it's like a declaration. It's just, that's the way it is. We all know it. Let's move on. But in this film, he's showing up because he was invited down and he's, you know, 
sort of down and out. He's left the war. He was a, a war hero. He was a major. Um, mm-hmm. So he had rank. And he obviously has no idea what to do with himself. Yeah, he's just totally adrift. And it's, and he's just... it's interesting because you see him get off the bus. Although actually, you, there's a couple of points early in the film. The first shot of the film is brilliant. We get on a bus and we are uh. looking over the shoulder of the bus driver. And you can see the rearview mirror. And in the rearview mirror is Humphrey Bogart. So yep. it's like we get the entire scene and we know who's in charge right away. Not in charge, but who's the main focus right away. And yep. then they drop the subplot about the, the two Seminoles that yes. are yep. have the escaped jail. Um, and then and you see him sort of tense up because the cop walks in and is like, am I in trouble? And we don't know. Mm. Is he in trouble? Is he like, Is he what part is, is he, he playing? Is he run? Yeah. yeah. Um, with a burger and a bun. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Charlie and Irving. Yeah. And then you, you actually see him sort of calm down. It's like, oh, he's not here for me. And he, like, deflates. And then he gets off the bus and he wanders into the hotel. And as soon as he wanders into the hotel, you know, it's it's civilian Frank again. And then as soon as the wise guys start talking, you see him kind of tense up. And it's, like, very much like a guy who understands what trouble is because he's been in the middle of it. Yeah. And Yeah, he immediately starts, you can tell he starts looking. He sees, he knows where all of them are. Yep. He's looking at where the exits are. He's looking for anything that could be used as a weapon. He instantly goes into pre-combat mode. And he also tries not to upset anybody. He's like, yes. yeah, I'm not here to stay. I'm he's just... going to try to de-escalate everything. He's polite. Yep. He's He speaks very softly when he speaks. He doesn't make sudden movements. Yeah. Yeah, that's, you know, that's, I'd say that's more like it. It's not like he's walked into an enemy uh, uh, stronghold. It's like he's walked into a den of dangerous animals, yeah. and he's trying to keep them calm. And, and again, for Bogart, Bogart is you know. I mean, I want to say that the a modern day Bogart would be somebody like Harrison Ford. You don't expect mm. them to play very far out of type, and he doesn't mm. in general. But he's really good at what he does. And he, when he does, though, like um, in Treasure of Sierra Madre. Ooh. <laughs> Very, very different. Yes, and again, African Queen. He's not the tough guy at all. In fact, he's he's. If you folks haven't seen that, that's another very, very classic film. Terrific movie. Uh, I mean, Catherine Hepburn and Humphrey Bogart. Oh, doesn't get much better than that. And there's this guy. There's Humphrey Bogart taking orders from this woman. Uh, To be fair, if you're gonna if you're gonna be Humphrey Bogart and take orders from somebody, it's going to be Catherine Hepburn. Yeah, and he the the role he plays is. appropriately subservient and she's she's a um she's not a, a preacher she's a uh, she's a missionary. missionary right oh my that's a great film great great film yeah but yeah, yeah. here he does flex for, for for humphrey he flexes a lot he's calm he's reserved but he's still humphrey mm-hmm. um and there was a reason that he made so many films and people loved going to see him and this is you know a, a prime example of that casablanca Oh. Man, if you're listening to this and you have not seen that film, turn off our show. I'm saying yeah. that. Turn off our show and go watch turn that off the show film. Go watch the movie. Stop whatever you're doing. If you're driving, drive your car off the road immediately. <laughs> if you're flying, crash yeah. into that. Jump mountain. out of the plane. Yeah, no, obviously we're not advocating any of that. No. We're just prescribing no, no. it. Now, there's a reason <laughs> that that film, people still watch it and love it. It's, yeah. oh my God, it's funny. Genius. It's, it's it's, it's got everything. It, it has is the everything. movie that has everything. Um, anyway, but this is this we is, could do a whole show about that. Maybe we will. Uh, who but, knows? Um, yeah. It's funny that we we talk about um, tension because we don't see the first gun for twenty five minutes, and this film's not mm-hmm. long. It's an hour and forty minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like it it it's I think very 
telling on John Huston's part. It's like, yeah, we don't need that yet. We'll get there. We don't need it. We, like we, we got to talk. Yep. Sorry. It's just, it's, we, we can create tension. I can create tension yeah, yeah. without having, we know that there's violence where it's probably in there. You can sense it, but I don't even have to show the instrument of violence until this far into the film. Yep. So you wanted to talk about something. Oh, well, we got to talk about Claire Trevor. Man, and she, I don't know anything about her, but what a great performance. Oh, she was, you can see why she won the Oscar. Oh, heck it's, yeah. It is amazing, and it's it's brilliant, and it's so painful. It is. It hurts. That so poor woman, it, she's obviously an alcoholic, yep. um, and, and the kind that unfortunately physically needs alcohol because she gets the shakes, which she does. And you can see her, her personality or her previous personality peeking out every once in a while where she tries to calm herself and act like nothing's going on. And then she can't mm. until she finally gets that drink after that, that just really oh, painful performance. And oh. she gets it and she does calm. And it's like, sadly, it's like, uh, man, that unfortunately she does need this. It's a very sad yeah. moment. And she is one of the bravest characters in the film because she not only does she understand her physical need she uses it to her advantage to get the gun away from johnny rocco and give yeah, she it she actually steals his gun and gives it to humphrey bogart and the the nerve that takes to do that to take the gun from the one this monster yeah oh god and that's the other thing about that sequence is it really cements that Rocco is a monster? Yep. Because he's he is just egging her on, saying, "Why don't you sing for us like you used to?" Yeah. And she says, "Well, with no accompaniment, I can't." Say, if you sing, you can have a drink. Yeah. And then she does. She belts out this, and it's so pitiful because it sounds like this really good voice that has been ruined. And it's a song about an abusive relationship. <laughs> yes, yeah, about an awful man. <laughs> Mo moaning low is the song, and. Then she finishes, and he says, "She says, can I have that drink?'" And he goes, "Nah, you stunk because you because you stunk." Yeah, and that's like when you go, "Okay, I want something heavy to fall on his head right now." Yeah, and I couldn't help but think part of her did what she did for Frank, not for their safety, but just that there was a chance that somebody would kill Johnny Rocco. Yeah, and I think uh, she really it. wanted Frank to get out of it alive, but she really was just like, if anything can happen, just like when we see Lionel Barrymore go, hey, make that hurricane, hey, Lord up in the sky, make the hurricane oh. come and kill all of us as long as you take him. Oh, God, and that that, that was amazing when this, when this they're in the, the heart of the storm and he's praying to God. Yeah. To set to make the hurricane kill, and Rocco is sweating and freaking yeah. out because he can't control the situation yep. because he's facing something that's more powerful than he'll ever be, and he can't deal with it, and he's freaking out, and Barrymore is terrifying him. Yeah, when he's praying, and he won't even threaten him; he can't even point his gun at him. But you're looking at the two other um, characters on Barrymore's side. You're looking at Frank and mm -hmm. why can I not remember her name? And Nora. 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 Frank and Nora. So Frank has made peace with something like this because he's been through the war. 
he knows yeah. there's stuff that's out of my control and this is one of those things so there's no point in getting upset about it it's like i can do what i can do <laughs> nora has faced the death of her husband in a life potentially alone and living with this old man whom she adores but she's been through these storms before she too is relatively calm what worries her is the crazy person the crazy yeah. person has never actually faced anything like this and his guys are also are like uh our boss is freaking out um 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 well hang on i gotta disagree there you gotta remember this is johnny rocco he's been through the mob wars he was through the the gang wars of chicago he's no stranger to violence and death right and but, he's been caught and he ha he knows that it's just because he is who he is he can't deal with the it's one thing when you're facing another guy with a gun that's not really that different from him but here he's facing nature and he can't deal with that well that's what i meant that, oh okay yeah yeah no no, no. It's, it's the fact that he had something he can't control and he goes nuts but it's also his guys who lean on him like the whole point of johnny yeah. rocco is he's their rock at, literally and yeah. suddenly it's like um yeah uh, that's the whole reason people like that you follow a gang boss is you follow someone you think is really strong and will protect you and uh will we'll put you on top and suddenly they're seeing him just fall apart because of a storm and they don't they don't know what to do no they stay and you know this is actually one of the points they talk about the about it being hot and having been to the keys i will tell you it's really hot <laughs> um but they they you know they're they're sweaty they're uncomfortable this scene throughout the bar where the lights have gone out and they've got just their their um, oil lanterns there mm. there is never more sweat in this film than <laughs> there is in that and they they kind of pan from one of the 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 gunsels to the next and all of them are sort of like doing the shifty eye thing and all of their brows are covered with sweat because they have absolutely no idea what to do they can't yep. comfort their boss because that admits weakness and they can't like start shooting things because that doesn't help they're like literally they're <laughs> as lost as he is they're just yeah. not allowed to go crazy and they're unnerved because their boss went crazy and that's not supposed to happen either so again an another oh. great scene and lionel barrymore just sitting there going take us take us take us. <laughs> it's just like and i his character is so cool because he mm. never once up until a certain point gives it an inch to johnny rocco not an inch mm. and then yeah. something happens where he does finally realize that some actions could get somebody he doesn't want to get hurt and he does blame himself for for what happens to the two Seminoles who get killed. Well, but to be fair, boys, yeah. he didn't know that Johnny Rocco had done what he'd done and told the no. and he also didn't know that the the cop that they had killed and had tossed out into the ocean, washed up. And the, the cop who showed up, uh, Burton Ernie, yeah. wasn't it? Um, <laughs> Might as well have been. Yeah. So because that's, again, another thing that would never have happened in today's films. If the cop show up in today's film, it's like, blam, blam. That's any of that. So, yeah, but. It's it's uh, it's hard to to know where to stop about saying good things about this film. Yeah, I, I gotta say one thing. Johnny Rocco asks a really good question at one point, yeah. and I I don't know the answer to this. He's because after Barrymore is is scaring him with the story of the hurricane of thirty five, right? Which apparently really was was a real thing and was unbelievably destructive and like wiped out the train tracks and killed eight hundred people. Why does anyone live there? So I mean, my God, they get hit by hurricanes every five minutes. Yep. How does how is their building standing? Why does anyone say yes? Oh, this looks like a nice place. Sure, we could get washed out to sea any second, but uh. so living in the state that you live in, in the state that I'm from, I could say uh -huh. the same thing and point my finger right at the South Shaw or the Cape. 
every year the hurricanes come up the north coast or the east coast yeah. to the north and they wipe out all those beachfront property every year and every yeah, year those people wipe who, out the properties they just wipe they just oh no they do the beaches and, and every year those people who can't get flood insurance rebuild those houses and they're right yeah. back um it's the, yeah. just the yeah. way it is and it's funny they talk about the tourists because at this point key west is really not a tourist spot it's actually still sort of a port of smuggling um, it would be until I believe mm. it's the early seventies. Um, uh, the, the days of the Conch Republic. Well, it, also that's when, quite honestly, from what I what they told me when uh, the history of Key West when I would visit there, uh, eventually what happened was the gays showed up, made it a lot of fun, and then everyone started going down there. <laughs> um, but it, actually, the Key West was a, a prime port for pirating and smuggling oh, yeah. and all sorts of nasty things, and it was a you know this this is where. Um, uh, very famous author died. Uh, Hemingway. Hemingway. Uh, Hemingway spent a lot of time until the tourists showed up, and then he's like, "Leave mm -hmm. me alone, I'm going to Cuba." So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, heck, one, they talk about uh, uh, the dead son, whose name I can never remember, George. Uh, George, how he was always out looking for Blackbeard's gold. Because yeah. yeah, a lot of the famous pirates buried stuff around key, the keys, whether they meant to or not. Because as yeah, you whether it they out, intended to. Stormy weather. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, there was one line in there uh, that uh, I'm trying to think of who said it. I want to say it was Lionel Barrymore. No, it was Humphrey Bogart. It was Humphrey Bogart about mm -hmm. um, Johnny Rocco that I thought was very telling for the various governments that have happened between then and now. And that was let him be president. And it's like, oh, <laughs> ouch. You know, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wait, wait till we what's get to one, wait till we get to Ronald one, Reagan. Because um, yeah. one of your actually, I hope Bogart and Reagan were never in the same film. Um, was was Bogart ever in a a Francis the Talking I, Mule film? Oh no, wait, I, no, it wasn't Francis what? the Talking Mule. What the hell? Oh, it was Bonzo, Bonzo, Bonzo the, monkey. the monkey. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I don't think Robinson was in any movies with Reagan. Uh, you mean uh, Bogart? Bogart. Excuse yeah. me. I hope. I hope not. Um, no. The one thing that I thought could potentially have been left out of the film because I don't mm -hmm. know how much it added to it, was the Seminole coming in and being left out on the porch. I don't know that that particular part really added anything. Yeah, well, I thought it was sort of emphasizing Rocco's cruelty. And I don't know, it was sort of an interesting sub-message, sub despite the way they're treated. The, the reminder that, oh yeah, by the way, there are Native people who live here too. Yeah, you know, that we took the land from. <clears throat> yeah, but but of course now they're all you know, like, oh yes, they're they're charming, simple people. You know, we, they can't be trusted with anything, of course. Who are all heavily dressed for some reason. It's like, yeah, uh, heavily dressed. what's with the wool? Because isn't it really mm. hot? Um, although none of them look like Emo Phillips, which kind of threw me off. Uh, <laughs> <True>. <laughs> deep, deep dig there, folks. Could... Don't don't bother looking it up. Wander um, into the woods and maybe see some animals. <laughs> so uh, I I wondered if you'd noticed that the end of this film bore a striking resemblance to another film mm -hmm. later, much later. Uh, I'm going to say 70s. Um, that also ends up with gangsters in a boat where the good guy is spread eagle on the roof of the boat trying to shoot the head bad guy through a hole in the roof. Uh, oh, was that um, which, one of those Jack Ryan movies? Oh, no, no. Uh, no, no, no. Aim, aim, aim far lower. <laughs> oh. Mitchell! I, oh, God. <laughs> oh, that's right. It never occurred to me before, but the end of Mitchell is exactly <laughs> like this. Yeah, they ripped it. I didn't occur to me, but yeah, they ripped it off. Only, oh, God. Only bad. 
<laughs> you know, I have to say, my first thought was when Bogart, get, and I'm sorry, spoiler for the ending of the movie. Yeah. They, they basically, their plan is to have, they decide to have Bogart take him in a little boat because their big boat has gone away. Which I, I really like the, that's actually a really neat scene. The captain has been, is telling Rocco, is like, no, I, I've got to take the boat away because of the storm. He says, you take the boat away, I'll kill you. So he comes out and he took, he's taken the boat away. He says, and one of his men, he took the boat away, even though I told him I'd kill him. He said, well, maybe he'll come back. He won't come back. Why won't he come back? Because he believed me. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, that's probably absolutely true. So they get Bogart in this little fishing boat. And he'll take this boat to Cuba. Him and five bad guys. And he takes them out. Yep. And it's the way they do it is actually makes it believable. Except for the part where Bogart does get shot and we don't even see a stain on his that's shirt. Always the, that's always the thing in the, that era of movies. He gets shot in the stomach, by the way. Well, the, and then he's just like, ow. It, it's the right stomach, not the left stomach, so it's okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I, I what think, is he, a camel? I think he... <laughs> He's he's a, a a hindgut ruminant. That's what he is. Um, <laughs> that's actually a term. Um, I want to say that they it. would have been better off shooting him in the shoulder, which is, to be fair, a trope. But it would have been fine. Yeah. Um, but he he clutches his side. It looks like it's something that's supposed yeah. to have grazed a rib or something. Um, mm. And of course, as you well know, if you pull your belt up, your belt up, it covers all the vitals, and they can't shoot you below the belt. So that's exactly <laughs> that's why their pants are up so high. Oh my God, I'm so glad that that style has. You know, a lot of styles have come back and made their reappearance mm-hmm. i am so glad that the nipple belt is no longer a thing because <laughs> cripes man it's like yeah that is really <laughs> silly look, looking wow um, it really is but yeah he takes out five of them well actually no he takes out four because rocco kills one of his own men that's right because the angel won't go up he's like i'm yeah, not going angel, up there are you crazy blam angel's oh. not an idiot it's like really you want me to go up the one staircase where you know he's waiting and he'll have a perfect shot at me yep and we're basically we're boxed in no i'm not going up okay blam thud yeah and i want to say too that it's another part of rocco's character that we get the feeling that rocco is really good with numbers Mm -hmm. rocco's not necessarily good in the situations of of tension like he gets other people to do that he's good at being a boss but he would probably have he probably was a really lousy henchman and what I'm guessing that he got into his position by luck, right? Again, Maybe. he had the smarts, but I don't think he had, like, all of the other guys around him are much tougher than he is. Well, except he's also willing to do anything. He has, he, he, he's completely ruthless. Well, he is there, and he is There's, like, no line he won't cross. But I think, again, he's the only thing holding back the really bad stuff. He will. He gets to a point where he's like, "I'm going to do this," and you know, it turns out, "Oh yeah." Bogart I, I, talks him out of it. Well, there's also, "Oh, I have that gun that I gave you that doesn't have any bullets in it." <laughs> right. But for the most part, I think that most of the other guys would have solved things with their fists and their guns much quicker. He's just smarter. Maybe. But I think yeah. they're more ruthless. Um, I want to give another clap to the character of Gay Dawn because. In the end, when the cops show up and, you know, everything is like, hey, we realize what happened. And the, and the, the cop who shot the two Seminole feels terrible. And then, of course, mm-hmm. Lionel Barrymore says, no, I'm going to shoulder that guilt. And uh, Gay Dawn says, no, it was none of you. It was all Johnny Rocco. Yeah. And then the cop says, we're going to need you to come and identify Ziggy 
the <laughs> counterfeiter mobster that we captured and she just goes okay and gets up yeah. and goes there's like yeah. no hesitation she's like no i'm fear. doing fear no she's got she's like i've got i'm i've got nothing left to be afraid of well you which know, is not John, true but yeah which isn't but no she's like she's now that johnny's gone obviously he was so much more terrifying to her than anything else yeah well it, she got it, what she wanted yeah right yep, so he's yep he's dead the business is over and I, I like the whole I do like the whole thing when Ziggy showed up yeah talk about again it's like okay the tension is calming a little bit the storm's over and oh god here's a carload of more gangsters I know no! and they're all eyeing each other up and those scenes oh. where it's like Ziggy and, and Johnny Rocco are obviously old friends although you're still waiting for one of them to try and get like they're they're digging at each other it's almost like a oh roast. yeah oh and, no there's no question that they hate each other but, but they're like doing the whole, hey, how you doing, you old so and so? Hey, oh, hey. Hey, your mama, your mama's so big, Thanos had yeah, to snap yeah. twice. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I hadn't heard that one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but you watch the, the gunsels, and the gunsels never calm down. They're oh, just standing they're there, like their hands aren't quite on their guns, but they're giving, each of them are giving the other oh. these little sidelongs, like, you want to start something? Because I will. No, you want to start something? Because I will. It's like, great, more people to be tense with. Yeah. And I, it's actually a relief when they leave. It's like, oh, good. Now we're just alone with the murderers we know. Yeah. Um, but again, you know, uh, Gay Dawn there, uh, Maggie mm. Mooney, um, props to her. And there's actually oh, some really so good. good characterization for women here amongst the sexism because there is. Oh, and yeah. There's, 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 there's tons. There's slapping around, which we don't need to see. Um and there's obviously, you know, you know, women are the lesser creature, blah, blah, blah. But I got to say, Lauren Bacall's, Bacall's character is like, she's waiting to pounce. And she also doesn't bat an eye. And she doesn't stand down from Johnny Rocco either. And yeah, she's obviously afraid of him, but she will not give him the satisfaction. No. She won't cry in front of him. Uh, she cries at one point, but she you know, makes sure he doesn't see it. Right. And she just, she won't, she never screams. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, again, she like Lionel Barrymore treats her. He, he obviously cares about her, but he treats her kind of like a servant. A little bit, yeah. I think mm -hmm. it's also one of the problems is that he's got nobody left, and he relies yeah. on her for everything. But and he probably hates that. He doesn't like that. He he's obviously a man of action, and he can't stand the fact that his body's betrayed him. Yeah. Um, so it, especially again for the 40s I'm not going to say that this is a, a, a feminist film by any oh, means, no. but it was nice to see that strength. And that, mm. commission, that commitment to doing the right thing from female characters in a movie of the 40s. Because you really just yeah. don't see that. We won't talk about the the small group of people of color that are... I mean, they don't make fun of them that much. Although there is some heap big dialogue, if you know what I'm talking about. The, yeah, the, the two, yeah. He, the two brothers. Silver Hills really talks like Tonto in this. Ugh, which is just embarrassing and, and unnecessary. Mm. Um so, you know, we're not going to talk about representation because even though there are some supposed seminal, there isn't any representation in this film. Again, it's the 40s. No. But yeah. um, I would say it's... I, <laughs> I wonder if people are going to try and figure out if we like the movie because um, it's kind of wrap-up time unless you've got anything else. Yeah. Nope, nope. I think I think we should just tell them. The Roundup. So, Max, did you like the movie? <laughs> I like this movie a lot. Again, it's hard to watch because it's so tense. Yeah. But it's so good. The performances are just top drawer. I don't understand why there was only one Oscar one for this movie. It was probably some year where there were twelve other really good ones. But did, did this you, is a this is really good. It is really good. The performances are are stellar all the way around. Um, mm. I don't. 
I can't think of a weak performance here at all. Um, I think the sheriff is a little weak. But it's so like minor, like it's like yeah, it's oh. a very minor character. He's on, he's got like five minutes of screen time, but it, it stands out. The winner for nineteen forty eight was a film called Gentleman's Agreement. Hmm. Do you um, do you know this movie? I do not know this movie. I uh, I don't either. Um, now right. now I want to know. But anyway, yeah, this may have to go on our list of uh, you know. I keep meaning to watch that. Well, except I've never heard of it, so I, I yeah. haven't kept meaning to watch this. I know the name. That's about it. I don't know anything about it. I don't know who's in it. I don't know who did it. I'll have to look that up. Uh, apparently, it was a Gregory Peck film. Oh. Uh, it also has John Garfield playing John Garfield, I'm sure. But, mm. uh, yeah, I don't think... Hey, if you know anything about our, that film, well, by all means, write us. But, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, I like this film. Uh, I had seen it, I think, once before. Again, it's not one of those films you're going to trot out every year or anything. But it's it's a very forceful performance all the way around. Uh, the directing is really good. There's some incredibly good shots. Again, that mirror shot in the beginning is a great shot. The shots mm. at the end of Humphrey Bogart looking down through the skylight on the boat, waiting for Edward G. to come out. Um, I, there's, there's really nothing not to recommend this film. Um, and I, again, I'm amazed that you had not seen it. Yeah, well, it happens. So speaking of which, what are we seeing next week? So next week we're going to see... I'm trying to think, is this... No, it is not. I was going to say, is this the only Disney feature I have not seen? If you count Pixar, no, it is not. But it is a very pivotal Disney film that I'm kind of surprised I haven't seen. And that is The Black Cauldron. See, it also surprises me that you haven't seen that, because to me, you know, you've seen everything Disney. Yeah, you know, a lot of the... I have not seen any of the Cars films, which is Pixar, but I have not seen Mm -hmm. any of those. But mm. it is a very pivotal film, and we'll talk about mm. why next week. In the meantime, please mm. don't forget, we're on those podcast apps that you all love so much, be it the yep. Google or the Apple podcast app. We have a yep. Facebook page, a Twitter account, both of which are Max Mike Movies, a website, which is, strangely enough, MaxMikeMovies.com. And you can email us at us at MaxMikeMovies.com. I didn't finish with the comments part. I'm sorry. Stop cutting in. Now your turn to apologize. <laughs> <laughs> Never! Uh, yes, email us, send us comments, um, give us suggestions for shows. We, uh, the last series was, was put out by uh, my, my friend Matt, who suggested we do the um, comparison series, which is apparently mm-hmm. done fairly well. People have said they Thank like you, it. Matt. Yeah. Um, so, by all means, and tell us we're wrong, tell us we're right, uh, tell us we'd look great in a strapless evening gown. We'd love to hear that. Um, but uh, I, w- I would be confused by that, but sure. Uh, I, I, they don't know us. Because I, well. I would not look good in a strapless evening mm, gown. I'm pretty sure of that. Me, me, me either. I don't, I don't have the shoulders for it. Well, uh, you got the waist, though. Mm, <laughs> not the ankles. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to have really nice ankles for a strapless evening gown, or so Wait, I've been why? told. Wait, why? Well, I got hairy If it's floor length, okay, okay, this is obviously for our other podcast, <laughs> Which our other fashion-based podcast, podcast. Oh, yes, yes, Max and Mike Fashion Show. Oh, yeah, because gosh, we're qualified Polka for that. Polka dots are back. Uh, <laughs> this is our episode about men's swimwear. So yep, until yep. that episode yep. of men's swimwear, this is Mike. <laughs> and this is floor length Levine. Goodbye. <laughs> Max Mike Movies is a co-production of The Voice of Max and The Movie Wrench.